0: We're going to try that. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. How many of this is your first Mother's Day as a mother? Raise your hand. That's, that's a beautiful thing, and we, we, we rejoice in that. That's a great thing for all of us, and maybe next year we'll be even adding some others. But We are, we are grateful for everyone here who's a mother and the, and the things that you've done uh, that have blessed the lives of your family, and, and by extension, all of God's family. It's an important role, and we're grateful for it. And uh, mindful of this day being something special for you, and so treat her well. Treat, I, I know everybody is, but there's a couple things I wanted to, thing. The one leading singer, I want, I want him to explain when he gets up at the end of service how his wife smells like carrot cake. How, how does that? Uh, I've been around Alicia a little bit, but I've never smelled carrot cake. I just, I just want to know. About, uh, and I love the way Lavonne does this. She makes sure she gets some of this stuff. But uh, here in a minute, we're going to make Aiden's day by singing Jesus Loves Me. I would like to help Sawyer out, but we're not going to do move it, move it, move it. Um, as interesting as that would be. I do think we need to take a poll to help Juliet, though. How many believe she should be allowed to take her dog in her car? Raise her hand. Come on, Mom. Do you see this? Yeah. We're just trying to help her out a little bit. Do not forget, next week is a big deal. It's our 15th anniversary, and those of you, how many, raise your hand if you were here on the very first Sunday Valley View existed. Okay, there's still a lot of you, and a lot of you within the, the few weeks after that, and remember the, the whole um, packed in like sardines experience that you had, and, and David Gibson is gonna be back, one of my favorite people, one of my favorite preachers. We're gonna make sure he's got a microphone on, because you know he'll kinda go distant like this. And then they 'll go ha 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 and stuff like that, so we will we will lower and raise him as we need to so that you can hear him, but it 's a it 's a treat if you can be here at two, be here at two. if for some reason you can 't you can be here at ten, but our, our main emphasis is on that two o 'clock service next Sunday, so please be here for that and and plan to stay for a while everything you could possibly eat and some some great interaction going to be had and If you have friends that uh, that, that were a part of that. Uh, Nettleton is the one that kind of planted this church, so special invitation to them a, as a congregation. And uh, also anybody that you know that just might want to know what's Valley all about, I think, I think David's prepared to share some history, but also some present and some future with us in the message that he's going to preach. If you would, join me in a moment at Psalm 131 The Bible tells me so. Psalm 131. Before you actually get to verse 1, there's a superscription there. It is a psalm of David, but it's also one of the Psalm of Ascents. A song of Ascents. Three times a year, God urged people who had scattered from Jerusalem, from the city that housed the temple, was the great centerpiece of the Jewish faith. They had scattered out there. They had moved away. They'd had to go and move to different lands. Maybe they were scattered there on purpose. Maybe it was because of some different accidental thing that happened. But they're scattered all over the place. And he says, three times a year, for sure one, but if you can, three times a year, I want you to make a pilgrimage back to the holy city. I want you to come into the temple that houses kind of God and the worship of God, and I want you to come back here and remember who you are. It doesn't matter where you are in the world, you are still God's people, but I want you in these certain times a year to make that pilgrimage. And pilgrimages back then were nothing like getting in your car going 15 miles. These were some really rugged territories that they were traveling from. There were sorts of threats and dangers along the way, and it was an expensive trip. But God asked them, I want you as part of your faith to make these three trips a year if you can. At least one. And as you make your way up here, I want you to sing these songs as you travel. It begins in Psalm 120, and it goes through Psalm 134. And I want you, it's kind of like the soundtrack of your childhood. Imagine those songs that, that resonated with you at each stage of your life and reminded you who you are. And you'd put that soundtrack in your sound system of your car, your camel maybe. And as you're traveling your way to the Holy Land, these songs you would sing begins with 120, and it goes in a particular order. 120 is a song about, I'm living in a foreign land. I'm living among people who do not share my faith, maybe my enemies, certainly people who oppose the Jewish faith and find us odd. We look forward to the trip, Psalm 120 says, but it's costly and difficult and reeking with challenges, right? Psalm 121 then, the next song they sing. The strength they get from looking into the distance of the high holy city up there, up on the horizon, and they remind themselves, God is going to guide me on this trip. There was great joy when they started talking about it and planning it and packing for it. This would be like Christians on Saturday night anticipating that wonderful sermon that's coming on Sunday morning. You missed that one. That was your shot. That's Psalm 122, and then they keep their eyes on God, it says, as they pass through the areas where, because this happens every year at the same annual times, the opponents and the lands they go through that don't share their faith are used to seeing these pilgrimages and these pilgrims traveling, and they make fun of them, and they harass them, and so as they pass through these areas of unbelievers who are mocking them, they're asking strength from, from the city of Jerusalem and from God, Psalm 123. And they say in Psalm 124, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, we would have never made it. Their reliance as they travel is upon God giving them mercy. And they celebrate a song that we just sung a few moments ago in Psalm 125, as the mountains surrounding Jerusalem come into view, so the Lord surrounds us as we travel. This is from the Psalm of Ascents, which is why Matthew led that. And it's a beautiful, comforting thought as they travel that God is surrounding me. And taking care of me. And whatever cost Psalm 126, the next one. Whatever cost is incurred, whatever we absorb, whatever trouble we experience, God will restore it, Psalm 126. The city is where the temple is, built by God. And because of that, nothing can really threaten it, Psalm 127. And not only that, but the person who trusts in God. Not just about buildings, but the people who trust in God and obey Him, they will be equally protected and guided. 128. 129, they review the history of Israel, how so many times her enemies rose up in opposition and became an obstacle, obstacle to God's purpose, and every time God was faithful and giving them deliverance. It's a review of how God has helped us in the past. And because of all this in Psalm 130, the pilgrim says, we're going to trust God completely for us. He's not just for our, 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 our forefathers, it's also for us. And it brings us to Psalm 131, which is my Mother's Day gift to you. But we're going we're gonna to pass up that for just a moment and continue the playlist until we get to the land. In Psalm 132, there's a rehearsal of God's promise to Abraham and to David. In a firm confidence, God keeps all his promises and he will keep ours too. There's great joy then in Psalm 133 because the closer they get the more they surround themselves with godly people. All of a sudden God's faithful disciples, Jews, more and more of them showing up on the roads and you're traveling together in unity with people who share the same faith and the joy and strength that comes from that carries them all the way through to the final one, Psalm 134 where they finally have the ecstatic experience of praising God with all the people who believe the same. I really think we should be practicing these Song of Ascents, Songs of Ascent. I think on Saturday night you should be singing Psalm 120 and thinking about tomorrow I'll get to be in the house of God I'm going to come out from where I'm at and I'm going to join other people. And somewhere around Psalm 129 we should be getting on to Southwest Drive. Here we get to we're getting closer, and we're getting closer, and I'm building my faith, and I'm reminding myself as I get on Southwest Drive, I'm reminding myself of why I'm doing this. It's not just because I do it every Sunday. It's because I have a God who's blessed me richly through Jesus and through every temporal blessing that I've got. It's Him who deserves the praise, and I'm thinking about that. And then as you start up the hill to get up here, you should be about Psalm 131 or Psalm 132 anticipating getting with other people and seeing all the faces of people who believe the same thing you do and drawing strength from them until finally in Psalm 134 we're here in the assembly it's the Lord's Day and we're getting to praise His name that's kind of what they're doing I just want us to pause at Psalm 131 for Mother's Day this is kind of a self-therapy verse passage it's it's talking to yourself it's challenging yourself But you've got to remember where Psalm 131 is. It's not its own spot. It's it's already preceded by a lot of remembrance and a recounting of God's blessing. And it's going to lead to greater praise and confidence. But right here at Psalm 131, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I will not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. And then comes this wonderful line, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Calm. Calm. And quiet. Life has a way of disrupting, disrupting calm and quiet, keeping us in constant turmoil and activity and rush and frenetic pace. Life has a way of keeping us stirred up all the time. And here the psalmist says, I'm on this journey, it's been a long way, it's already been frustrating and tiring and challenging, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. Life can get out of hand. We've got college students going off to college here pretty soon, called the most depressed generation to ever live. And their parents aren't far from that. And what causes this are just elements in our culture. Social media makes us so angry and anxious. Seeing what others are seeming to experience that's beyond our own makes us angry with envy. And constant comparison. I remember the peer pressure of looking around at other people, my peers, growing up. But the peer, pr- the peer group that we compare ourselves with now is much larger than ever I experienced. You've got thousands of friends on Facebook, and you're looking at them all, and they're posting their wonderful, pretty pictures. And what you're sitting there thinking, look at this perfect family. They've got everything right, and mine is so full of flaws. And they post their teenager got a 32 on their ACT, and your kid's struggling to get 20. And every right to post that, but it creates some turmoil within us and a sense of shame that I, I've got to keep up with everybody, and I've got to keep up with everything. And either I failed or my kid failed, it doesn't make any difference. I feel the shame and the burden of, of looking at how I'm responsible for this, and I, I should have put them in tutoring earlier. I should, have started, I should have started Little League when they were three instead of four. They might play for the Cardinals. And from the time they're born, we're thinking of the college resume. And every little moment of time that we have, we try to pack it with this lesson and that lesson and soccer and and, and music lessons at age three and age four. And we check every math homework assignment because this could be the difference between an A and a B. And so every single one of them, we make sure it's an absolute perfect paper before they turn it in. The tiring you do more and more and more. And just like that, the joy of childhood is over, and it felt like so much work. We all feel it, especially you moms feel it. You love those little ones so much it hurts, and you want to provide for them the absolute best future if it kills you, and it probably will. You get on an ever-ending treadmill of manipulation and control, securing every advantage that you can, every likelihood that they'll be recognized and successful. And you might even cross the line and cheat a little bit and write that paper for them. Into this kind of stressful environment that we're all getting used to in our world comes this psalm that, that says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. I have. It's possible for you to calm and quiet your soul. The threats to that quiet are listed in verse 1. My heart is lifted up. We lift up our hearts and we think that all of life depends upon our effort and I've got to work extra hard all the time to get an extra 10 feet of distance. What does it mean to have a heart lifted up? And the best illustration comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Right before they're going into the promised land, Moses backs them up and says, before we go in, let me tell you some things. And one of the things that God has Moses tell him is, when you get into that land, I'm telling you, it's flowing with milk and honey. There's wonderful stuff in there. There's wonderful food. There's wonderful opportunities. And you will prosper. I will bless you. But when you get in there, don't get in there and say, after you've had all these wonderful meals of all the food that's there, don't you dare say, it was by my own power I did this. Don't you dare lift up your heart. You see that underline? And say, I'm the one who did this. It is God who's given you this blessing. Receive it with gratitude and don't feel like you have to work harder and harder and harder to keep this thing up. Yeah, I think, I think that's a pride that, that you sit there and say, I think I'm the one to credit for all the blessings of my life. That's one danger of pride, but you know what the opposite one is? The only way I can keep up those blessings is for me to work harder and harder and harder to secure them. I'm the one who's making these blessings happen, and if I want them to continue, I have to work like crazy to produce them. And if they don't come to me in the ways that I envision and plan, I'm going to blame myself for it not having worked out right. Stop it! Stop it! Your life is a gift from God. There are certain things that you do. You are responsible for doing things, but God is the ultimate praise for the things that happen in your life. Don't lift up your heart and take credit, because you'll also lift up your heart and take responsibility that you shouldn't take. Don't do that. It disrupts your calm and your peace. The second thing that disrupts this is eyes raised too high. This is a weird thing. I don't I never used to call it this. I used to call it when your nose is in the air, when it rains you may drown. These people who constantly in order to look at anybody else have to look down. Do you know people like this? Here's how Isaiah described in Isaiah chapter 3, this very vivid image of these women, these rich women who were trodden down, trampling down the poor, and it craned their necks. He says they craned their necks, their necks are all stretched out. These stretched out necks way up above everybody, looking down on everybody, condescending. Right? They've even got jewelry on their feet. These are rich, prosperous people that walk on the poor and look down on them as, as they're less less valuable than they themselves are. People do this, and we sometimes do this to ourselves. To convey a sense that you're better than others, to sustain that belief, requires that you constantly compare yourself to other people and find yourself superior. It's exhausting to do this, this posture that you have to sustain, that no one can gain any on you. You must stay up on people. You must stay astride ahead. The most simple things in life becomes areas of competition. Oh, my kid walked at six months. Your kid had eight months. It took eight months to walk. My kid's superior. Mine's out of diapers already. They're only a month old. My kid said the word metamorphosis at age two and a half. When did yours say metamorphosis? I don't care. It don't make any difference. But we have to in every conversation. When oh, this is what my kid's doing, and then you're looking in your own head. When did my kid do it? Is he behind? Is he ahead? And we have to. It has to be. Little Johnny has to be smarter than any other human who's ever lived. You can't let up either. That competition has to stay at it. You always have to look behind to see, am I still ahead of everybody else? And there's no peace and comfort that can be found that way. And even when you have a time to enjoy peace and relaxation with your family, no, you've got to fill it with something else or you might lose ground. And so we live, we fill our lives full of activities, seeking to take advantage of every opportunity to gain a little more of our lead. And it's exhausting. It's not how we're supposed to live threatens your peace and your calm. And there's a third thing he says. I I, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. I struggle a little bit with this one. When you start taking on things that aren't your business, when you start trying to control things that are not within your realm of control, but you're going to do it anyway, and you're going to try to manipulate things that you have no business messing with, or you're going to try to solve things you can't solve. Job did this in Job chapter 42 at the end when God has finally answered. And God did not address the questions Job raised. He totally ignored his questions and went beyond them and said, I'm God, period. You don't have to worry about this stuff. Who is this that hides the counsel without knowledge? Therefore I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Job said, all that complaining I did in the last 40 chapters of this book... I was venturing into territory I had no business talking about. Listen, you may struggle with things that you don't know why. Why did this bad thing happen? Why did these, these series of bad things happen to me? Why did it happen? And you know what? You're going to ask yourself them questions. Nothing wrong with asking those questions, but do not demand an answer. There are certain things you can't know that are in the realm of what God does. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to him. Let him have them, and don't you vex yourself with them. They are none of your business. You cannot know. Let it go. You cannot know the future. You can plan and plot all you want to and you need to, but you cannot know the future, so do not vex yourself. It will rob your peace of the present in order to try to figure out the future, and that's not a good trade. Those are the things that threaten to rob you of your peace and calm of soul. So how can we as the psalmist, David says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. And the answer is this. We've got to think about mom. Think about mom. Two things he says that accomplishes this calming of his soul. And he says it twice. So the same thing twice, repetition is a key that this is important. So he says, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. A weaned child is one that has learned to trust mom so completely that if mom doesn't answer immediately, I can wait confidently. Prior to this weaning, a baby will cry. She has needs that need to be met that she can't meet herself. She has needs that someone outside herself must meet, and she has to let them know it. And she cries, not knowing really sure whether that need will be provided and by whom. It's a scary world for a baby that cannot trust yet. But by experience, and two to four years old, that was weaning age among the Hebrews. She's learned mom knows those needs. Mom will provide those needs has for time already proven her track record is good she always shows up with something good and i can trust that the next time she will too and i don't even need to cry constantly i have a freedom and a peace that she's going to be there for me and i can be content even before the needs are met so she spends her life in freedom and freedom from worry so you can quiet your soul when you remind yourself, she always comes through. Just this past week, Michael was talking about this. You probably know Michael. He's a youth minister, but he's more like a youth than a youth minister. You ever figured this one out, right? And so he's got, the, he's got Emerson with him, and she's just crying, crying, crying. Hands her to April, and she just quiets down like that, right? That's every dad's kind of dilemma. But I, I, I'm figuring, and the way LaVon explains it, she's, she's spent the last nine months of her life plus now, With April and knows April's smell and touch and all that stuff, and so she can calm her a lot quicker. A weaned child is a child that mama has done this enough that I can trust her completely and not be so fretful and cry so much. A weaned child. Your soul is a weaned child. If your soul is a weaned child, who is your mother? If I say to myself, I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, I'm comparing my soul to a weaned child and my mother is God. And he has got a track record of taking care of me that gives him the benefit of the doubt that even when I don't know where He is right now, and even though I don't know when He's going to come, I know He's going to, and He is going to take care of me. And I do not have to whine and cry and constantly fret and try to handle this myself and go into emergency mode and go crazy and go anxious and go fretful. I don't have to. I've trusted He's proven Himself in the past. He's going to come through for me today, and He's going to come through for me tomorrow. And it's not presumptuous to assume that. It is faithful to assume that. You see, you can't just pick up Psalm 131 and, and expect this maturity to come to you. Before we got to Psalm 131, he's already sung all those songs that God enumerates all those past things God did. All those times when my opponents rose up and gave me great stress. What are my opponents going to do? Are they going to overcome me? And and you, renew, and you keep going over No, they're not going to overcome me. God's been here for me. He's taken care of me every step of the way. And as you've sung those songs and reminded yourself of what God's done in the past, you begin to fill yourself with faith for the future. I don't have to be fretful and panicky and frenzied and hurried in my life. My mother is going to take care of me. I just keep singing those songs that remind me of what God has done for me. Please hear this psalm today, especially you mothers. There's no reason to wait until heaven to enjoy that peace and calm that God makes available to His, pe- His people. Don't wait till then. Have it along the journey. Have it for this life. Have it right now. Trust him now. You see, he will let you take over the throne. He will get up from the throne and let you sit there and take charge of your own life and try to take charge of everything about your life and control every variable and manipulate everything to bring about the ends you want. God will let you do that, but it's to your own detriment. It's to your own harm. Let him sit there. When you have that desire for that competitive spirit rise up within you while watching facebook or visiting with that really smart friend of your kids when you try to be improperly ambitious be ambitious but do not be improperly so when you start trying to control things you really can't don't try harder just trust more review what God's done for you and realize he's been very capable of taking care of you all these years and he will continue to do so if you let him. Crawl up into his arms and find peace. And don't forget this third verse. It's a lesson. David says, you know what? I've learned this. I keep reminding myself of this. Israel, today we would say church, church, hope in the Lord From this time and forevermore, there's no greater witness to the world of the greatness of our God than being people who, when everybody else is losing their brains, you calm your soul, you quiet your soul, and you live out a peaceful existence in our crazy, crazy world do that today. There's no reason in the world why we as believers can't. I want you to be able to say this when things get crazy in your life. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. If you don't know God as father, then maybe this is a problem for you. You don't know the history. You don't know what he'll do for you because you're not his child. And this morning, maybe you want to become a child of God by, by going through his son, Jesus, and calling him Lord and being immersed. Maybe you have, and for whatever reason, you've not trusted the Father like you should. Maybe you're acting more like a baby than a weaned child. Jesus says, Matthew chapter 18, if you want to have the kingdom of God... You must come, become like a little child. This is what he's talking about. Not childish. That's a baby. To become like a child is to become like a weaned child in Psalm 131. If you don't realize you can trust him, gain that trust review. This morning we have sung songs that remind you of what God does. We do this every Sunday morning. We will until the Lord returns. And every day of your life, review what God's done to build up your confidence of what God will always do for his people. Let's be like wean children and trust him and let it bring calm and peace to your soul as we stand and as we sing.